You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. Real love. I know I got to get some real love. Come on now. Trying to find some real love. Got to have real love. Amen. The Apostle Paul, like Jody Watley, was looking for some real love. And he said, listen, I need to, I need to, I want to have one. She said one. He said, I'll say, he said some. I'm going to try and get some. Everybody needs some real love. Got to have real love. So that's why the apostle Paul starts out in verse nine and he says, love must be sincere. The apostle Paul says, I am looking for the body of Christ to produce what? Some real love. I need some real love. And as it, as it turns out, you know, in, 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 in perfect context, again, good Lord, I left the other Bible up here. It's okay. This is the hammer Bible. This is the, this is the one got all the notes, all the everything in it. This is the one that if the house was on fire, I would push past Sister Kim, Uh-oh. go get my Bible, take it outside, Uh-oh. then come back inside Uh-oh. and make sure she was good. Oh, no. oh, Lord. Yeah, I would push past her. Where's my Bible? I think it's in your office. I'm going to find it. Amen. Romans chapter 12. You know how Romans chapter 12 starts out for us. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service and be and don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what that good and acceptable and perfect is the what? The will of God. And so again, he, he, he starts out Romans chapter 12 talking about the relationship with the believer and God. And there is a plea that he makes right there in verses one and two, where he says, I'm making a plea to all believers as it relates to God. I need you to perform your worship. I beseech you brethren, by the, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I want you to perform your worship. And then he says, I also want you to reform your ways. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he says, listen, I want you to perform your worship. I want you to reform your ways and I want you to transform your will. So just know that in the backdrop of all the Apostle Paul is saying to us around believers and the body of Christ and love, he's saying, listen, as I start out you got to get this thing right first. So I need you to perform your worship. I need you to reform your ways and I need you to transform your will. And then in verses three through eight, he doesn't, he pivots. And now he's talking not about the believer in God. He's talking about the believer and him self. Amen. When he starts to say, for through the grace of God, I want every man not to think more highly of himself than he ought to, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt every man the measure of faith. And he goes on and talks a little bit about gifts and he talks about how we're connected in the body of Christ. But he says, listen, I'll talk out, I'll start out talking about the believer in God. Then I'll pivot to talking about the believer and himself. And then when I get to verse nine, I'm talking about how does it look between believers with other believers? Amen. He's just walking this thing down. And then he concludes more broadly in verses 14 through 21, which we will look at at some point. 
he he talks more broadly about how does the believer interact with the community around him. Yes. Don't think the Apostle Paul is not really, really organized in what he wants to say to us. Amen. And as he is organized, I have to be organized as I present it to you. Amen. The believer in God, the believer in himself, the believer with other believers and the believers with the broader community. And so we plop down here because we're talking about learning to love. Amen. We're talking about the relationship that we have to have with one another in the body of Christ. And, and, and the last time we were talking, it was about what is this, what is this thing called love? We talked about that a little bit and we talked a little bit about the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And the apostle Peter said in first Peter chapter when we were together the last time, he said, now that you have what? Okay. Okay. I'm by myself. Okay. I'll just read it then. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, then he says, love one another how? Deeply from the heart. That's what Peter said. Love one. He said that sincere love for your brothers. That sincere love was that phileo love. He said, but I need you to still step up your love game. Now that you have purified yourselves and obeyed the truth, I need you to have sincere phileo love for your brothers. But then he says, I need you to agape love one another deeply from the heart. And then the apostle Paul here tells us in the same vein and literally in, in a, he says it in a slightly different way. He says love and agape love. Now he's saying it must be sincere before he was like, hey, Peter says you got sincere love of your brothers. But now he says, I don't need you to just have agape love. I need you to even have sincere agape love. We just keep getting these upgrades in terms of what our love game is supposed to look like, beloved. And I can just tell you that where our love game is supposed to be and where our love game is, is a lot of space for improvement. We need some real love. Got to have some. Got to find some. Everybody needs some. Real love. And so in the Corinthian church, they had a lot of things going for them. They had these great manifestations of the gifts and they were so gifted. But he said, you're lacking the wrong motivation. Love should be the motivation for you. He says, you need some real love. And so he says, love must be what? Sincere. Love must be sincere. And so I want to present to you this that is the plea that you must manifest that's the plea that's the apostle paul's plea that's the plea that must that you and i must manifest we need to manifest this what does manifestation mean it means show evidence of show proof of uh show by one's behavior or attitude when you manifest something you bring it from the from the hypothetical into the real it can't just be a a philosophical discussion we're having about love must be sincere the apostle paul says i need to see it I need you to experience. I need you to reflect it. I am making my plea right now to you. Love must be sincere. That's the plea that you and I must manifest in our everyday life. Second, I don't know why this, this verse is not 
written down for me. I don't know how this happened, but sometimes it does. Second Corinthians 8 and 8 says this. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. That's what he said to the Corinthians when he was talking about uh, encouraging them to to get in on the giving to the Macedonia churches where the the, uh, the church at Philippi was. And he says, I know that I know that you're prepared. I know you said you were going to do some things. He said, but now guess what? I need to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I said, I need you to come through for me. Amen. If you're loving, like you said, if you're prepared, like you say, it's time to put up or what? Come on now. That's what he said. That's in the Negro International Version. That's the NIV. The Negro International Version says put up or shut up. Amen. You all know you're familiar with that version, trying to pretend like I just made that up. That version is very real in your and active in your daily life. Amen. First John 3 and 18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words. Or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Amen. Not just, we can't just talk about it. We got to, got to be about it. Again, that's the NIV again. You know what NIV I'm talking about. You completed it for me. Can't just talk about it. You got to be about it. Or as Migos would say, what would they say? Walk it like I, come on now. See y'all with me. Sometimes y'all pretend y'all not with me, but that was too quick and too easy for you all. Walk it like I talk it. Come on now. That's what the Apostle Paul is asking us to do today. I know that his sister KJ is tickled by that. I hear her over there laughing, I think. Amen. So that's the plea that must be manifested. Again, it's agape love. Again, yet another uh encouragement in line with that first Peter text that we talk about. Love one another deeply from the heart. Now he says, now do it sincerely because Peter, Peter told us why we needed to do it. Amen. In first Peter, he told us why, because he said that our relationship effectively, our relationship with God was eternal and that love was eternal and, and that and and that we, we, we were going to be uh, doing this for eternity. So he told us why first Peter told us why the apostle Paul here is not going to tell us why he's going to tell us how. Amen. He's going to walk it out for us again. If, Apostle Peter told us it was because of eternity, uh, because of eternity of love and salvation and our relationship with, with God. But Paul is going to tell us why. He says love must be sincere. That word literally means without hypocrisy or pretense. Amen. He says you can't be playing around. It's no time to be phony. Matter of fact, the, the word also was used when it was talked about people that used to do acting. Amen. Because they knew that they were playing a role or playing a part. He said we don't need any acting here. Amen. We need real characters. Amen. We need real love. And so he says I need you to get into this thing and I need you to love sincerely at the agape level. And and here it is. He begins to walk through and there are like six other things that we'll talk about in these verses where he walks us through the, the 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 how of it and he says the first thing is in verses 9 and 10 there are some priorities you must mind amen listen 
Listen, there's a plea you must manifest, which is what? Love must be sincere. And then he says, if you are going to do that, if you're going to, like Jody Watley said, if you're going to have some real love, there are some priorities you must mind. Amen? There are four of them. They're right there. He walks them down. He said, there are four priorities that you have to mind. And if you mind these, if you, if you're about the business of these, it will help you to find and to execute and manifest real love. He said, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Honor one another above yourselves. Simple list. Clear list. Hard to implement. He says, first and foremost, you have to literally hate. Hate what is what? Evil. In Proverbs 4 and 27 it says do not turn to the right or to the left keep your foot from evil this is king solomon's advice to a young man this is the same passage of scripture where he says guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life amen and so he talks about heart and then he talks about path and he talks about steps and right there in verse 27 he says again don't turn to the right or to the left keep your foot from evil you have to stay on the path of righteousness and you've got to hate what is evil amen think about what peter said uh about being uh I mean, excuse me, the apostle Paul said in, in 2 Timothy 2 and 22, when he said, flee the evil desires of youth. Amen. Run away. You got to, you've got to be in a position where you know what will trigger certain things and you have to have a healthy dislike, a hate for those things that will keep you from the path that you're supposed to be on. Amen. It says, listen, I need to, you need to put some blinders on. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the the left. There's one thing to know about evil, but there's another thing about avoiding it. Amen. You have to know that if I put myself in a situation that things could go wrong, things probably will go wrong. You know yourself. You try to pretend like you don't sometimes. And I do too. Where we'll say, well, it's okay. I'll just still go out with them. It'll be okay. It probably won't be okay. You've got to hate what is evil. First Corinthians 10 and 6 says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Talking about the children of Israel. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in reverie. Don't be, uh, do not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. He just lists a few things. He said they did some things that were evil. Don't be involved in the same kind of things they were involved in. It didn't work out well for them. There were consequences when they gravitated towards evil. Amen. He says, I need you to have a a, a posture and a mindset around. I hate evil. I'm not going to go anything. I'm not going to go anywhere near that. That's why first first Thessalonians, excuse me, 522 says, reject every kind of 
evil. And then one of my favorite scriptures is in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, you know that that's in the, that's the NIV, but I'm talking about it in the NIV. Mm-hmm. Bad company corrupts good morals. You know who you spend time with in your life historically where things have gotten out of control or the folks that will encourage you to do things that you no longer want to do. Don't be misled. The scripture says bad company will corrupt good morals almost to the point where you can look at second peter and you can think about lot and it talks about how god rescued lot a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawlessness for that righteous man living among them in sodom and gomorrah day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard there was a lot of pressure on lot living in sodom he didn't have any business living in sodom matter of fact he pitched his tent toward Sodom in Genesis 14 I think it was the next thing you know we read that he's in Sodom because why bad company can corrupt good morals Mm -hmm. and so you and I need to be in a place where we hate what is evil you have to know what's evil and avoid it not know what's evil and play around with it amen hate what is evil and then Really the opposite, which is really what seals it for you in a good way. He says, then cling to what is good. Amen. That's why Second Timothy 2 and 22 says, flee the evil desires of youth and then do what? And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with them that call out on the Lord, call out on the Lord of a pure heart. Amen. He says, flee and then follow after, flee these things, follow after these things and do it along with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's a, a, a beautiful discipleship look right there. Flee, follow and fellowship. We've talked about it many times, but he says, cling to what is good. And when I think about that clinging to what is good, it's like in desperation, like a life preserver that somebody is throwing you in a raging ocean. You imagine yourself, you've been thrown overboard by a wave, a rogue wave, and you're in the water, and somebody is throwing a life preserver to you from the boat. I want you to cling to goodness like you would cling to that life preserver. You know that's the only way you're going to stay alive. You know if you don't, the the wind and the waves are going to take you under. You don't want to drown. You want to live. You fight, and you cling to that life preserver like you're what? Life dependent on it, amen, because it does. Hate what's evil. Cling to what is what? Good. In Hebrews 13 and 16, and he says, and do not forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Mm-hmm. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service sacrifice the thing about a living sacrifice is it moves around when the heat hits it a dead sacrifice you just put on and you can chop it and do what you need the living sacrifice is trying to get off he says i need you to be a living sacrifice and what is the biggest thing you need to sacrifice over everything else yourself which is represented by what your selfishness 
And guess what? He says, listen, don't forget to do good and share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And I'm telling you, the sacrifice that you're making when you decide to do good and share with others, you're sacrificing your selfishness for selflessness. Micah 6, 8 says what? He has shown you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? (laughs) To act justly and to love mercy and to do what? Walk humbly with your God. He, You know what the Lord has asked of you. You know what is required of you and what's required of me to do good. And so he says, listen, I need you to cling to good. He said, it's not just the fact that you've got to hate evil. That, that, that'll, that'll help for sure. But now I need you to cling to what is good. And how you cling to goodness is you do goodness. Amen. You can do good because he is good. Amen. And what you and I have to decide, and this is how you get to this sincere agape love level. Amen. Is you do this. I'm going to do the right thing because it is the right thing to do. And God is pleased. It's about him. It's not about me. Let me say that again. I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And God will be pleased. And it's about him. It's not about me. That, that, that's a different mindset. Usually, and Kim and I were just talking about, just thinking about some friends in our circle that, that she did, when we were talking about some of the things that they have done that even seem good, strategic, strategically good, manipulatively good, a good that will bounce back to them, uh, in, in terms of who they give to or how they do things again. Those are, th- those things, if it's not motivated by love, as we've learned, motivation matters. If it's motivated by your self-interest and if you're giving to get, you're doing good so that it'll come back to you, that's the wrong motivation. You've got to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, period. It's the right thing to do. And you can't concern yourself with how it benefits you personally. You got to do what's right because God is pleased when you do what is right. He said it in Hebrews 13 and 16. He said what? Again, we'll look at it. He said to do good and share with others these sacrifices. God is well pleased with that. And if we're in the business of pleasing him, then that's all that matters. It's about him. It's not about you. So I need you to be reminded that you have to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And then he says this. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. What is so interesting about this word devoted in the in the text it is the word philo storgos and that word philo you remember that because that's in that same word family about phileo and philadelphia that's that brotherly love that's the the love that we've been talking about um the phileo love it's philo and then there's storgos. Storgos is is from a, a Greek a, a word for love called storge. There there are four there are four Greek words for love. Only two of them appear in their in their uh, root form in, in scripture. But 
Eros love, we're familiar with that. That's commonly translated lust, eros love. And then there's phileo love, that's just brotherly love. There's storge, which is family love. And then there's agape, which is God's love. Loosely translated. But this is a combination of phileo and storge. Philostorgos. Philostorgos. And what it means is that you have to love your friend and your brother like you love your family. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a different level. You know what I'm saying? And I can explain it to you best this way. It's because you know there are people that are in your family that get away with stuff that you would never let your friends get away with. You will cut a Negro off for how they act. But when it's your family, this is what you have to end up saying. And it's so horrible. We say, but, but she's family. When you when you say it, it's never you never really say it in a good way. You say it because there's nothing you can do about it. You say it because you search to try to find a way. How can I get rid of this person? I can't. They're family. There's a new Old Spice commercial with Dion Cole and Gabrielle Dennis and Patty LaBelle. And, and he comes in and he's like, she's, she's using all my old spice body moisturizer. She's making me wear, and she just says, she's family. So you gotta get rid, she's family. There's nothing you can do about Patty LaBelle. And then she comes through and she just said, we're out of body moisturizer. So it's like, what can you do? He's sitting there in a, a, a woman's robe. He don't have his robe, but she's family. And all she says, she just shrugs her shoulders. She's family. Again, the apostle Paul is saying, I, I need you to, I need you to love at the level. I need you to be the devoted one to one another where they, there's such a buy-in that they don't even have to do anything. The buy-in with family is they start out literally with a full account with you. They erode it over time. But friends that you just meet, they don't start out with any equity in their account. They have to build it up. Family starts out with it full. Why? Because we're family. Amen. If you grew up in the same house with somebody, you have years and years and years of warm, warm feelings and, and shared experiences. And you should. You've been placed together. You understand that there's a bond that when we leave out of the house, no matter what we did in the house, you're still my sister. I'm still your brother. And if somebody messes with you, it's on and popping. And we'll fix our mess later. So when Courtney saw, when she was in kindergarten and Kendall was in third grade and they were on the bus and we lived in Connecticut and some little white boy was doing something to Kendall, she didn't even know what the situation was. She was in a different part of the bus. That's what happens when you mess with somebody's brother. That's how you get hit in the head with a lunchbox by a kindergarten girl. No questions asked. She didn't need to know what was happening. All she knew was static with my brother, lunchbox out, lunchbox deployed. Kim had to go down to the office. It was a big thing. And then when the mother of this boy said, is this the girl that hit you? This little girl? Come on, let's go. She's like, yeah, you, you made me, you made it sound like somebody had attacked you. It was a gang of people. It's like, nah. But her point was, you can't mess with my brother. Why? He's family. You got to get that 
That's the, the way he wants us to be devoted. And, and, it, and it can't be from a bad place. It, and hopefully, even if you don't have good uh, familial relationships, you know that you wanted to. Amen. There's, there's a bond that we have, particularly if we grew up in the same house, that nothing can. It really takes a whole, 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 whole lot to tear that apart. Amen. The presumption is you're in. And the other thing is, even when you mess up, it's so much easier to be able to say, I'll forgive you. Why? We're family. We got to figure this out. We're family. And he's saying, that's the way you need to be devoted to one another. That phileo love is good. But if you add a little storge in there where you just kind of supersize that, if you will, it's loving with that natural affection that characterizes members of the same family. Warm feelings, shared experiences, common interests, and family ties. And that's why Ephesians 4.32 becomes possible at some point because Ephesians 4.32 says what? Be kind to one another, uh, compassionate, considering one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ and in, in, in God's name forgave you. Amen. It says be kind, be considerate, be compassionate, forgiving one another. We have a real problem in terms of even saying th- stuff that doesn't even make sense. I'll forgive, but I won't forget. But by definition, if you're saying I won't forget, that means I'll use it against you again. Then that means you haven't forgiven me. I'm not asking you to erase it from your memory. But when you forgive somebody, you say, when I think about it, I won't use it against you. Amen. That's the level we need. And it's 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 a it's a better motivation when there's somebody that's in your family and you've got all of these bonds together with mothers and fathers and cousins and other relatives that you don't want to have some some mess out there that you could avoid if you just changed your attitude and forgave and said, you know what? It's family. It'll be okay." The Apostle Paul said, that's what I want. I want you to be devoted to one another like family. Why? Because you are family. So in Christ, verse 5, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We already talked about this before. We're family. And so he's saying if you're family, then act like you're family. And the last one, he says, honor others above yourselves. Honor others above yourselves. There's a passage in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where the Apostle Paul is talking about how he interacts with them. He says, again, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. And in verse 33 of that same chapter, he says, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good but the good of many so that they may be saved. He says, my mindset, my outlook is I'm seeking the good of others, not myself. I'm placing others before myself. That's why the apostle Paul could say, I become, uh, I become all things to all men so that by what? All means I might win some. He said, my, my, my goal is to, is, is, is salvation for those that are lost and I'll do whatever I can. I'm always thinking about other people before myself. And if you and I are going to love Sincerely at the agape level, you and I have to honor others above ourselves. Yes. 
And Philippians 2 really lays that out for us. It says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love that Christ had for us, being one in spirit and purpose. And he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Yes. That's the... That's the key. What's the key? The key is humility. Humility will allow you and allow me to consider others better than ourselves. That's how we honor others. Amen. That's how you, you get to the place where you honor others above yourselves. It's, it's about humility and humility is really about asking yourself the question, how low can I go? Can I go down low? All the way to the flow. Humility, humility is, and if I'm going down low, if, 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 if I, if I'm low, then that means others are what? Above me. That's how you honor. He said, I have to go down low. Humility is, is, is one of the really key things about humility is humility always strengthens connection. Amen. It's, if you're conceited, if you're high-minded, if, if, if that's how you carry yourself, you don't make as many connections as if if you're trying to get underneath people and be as low as you can. That really facilitates. And so I would tell you this. You 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 heard it emphasized in Scripture in Matthew when when Jesus was talking about the disciples were on the road and they were like, he said, what were you guys talking about? And they were like, uh, nothing, because they knew they were talking about who was the greatest. And he said, who would be the greatest would be what? Servant of all. Amen. That's he said the Gentiles, they got a different system. They they, they have a, a system where they they lord things over each other. He said, but not so with you. He said, who would be your the greatest among you will be servant of all. So that's when he emphasized it. Then you actually see it employed in John chapter 13 when Jesus does what he washes the disciples feet. That's humility. That's 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 a a bottom-up leadership approach, not a top-down. He said, I, I am who I am. And in the scripture says, it's when he knew that he had all power and that he was going to his father, that he came from his father and was going back to his father. So what did he do? He opened up his garment. He said, it's time to start washing feet so I can give them an example of what servant leadership looks about, looks like. So again, I emphasize it and then I employed it and then you can see it embodied in a couple of people in scripture like, like Moses and like the apostle Paul that I talked about Moses where it says that he was the meekest man on the earth again Moses was meek and meekness doesn't mean weakness meekness means I know who I am I know the strength that I have but I choose not to deploy it against you for my benefit I'm constrained by what God tells me to do and I'm going to be meek and so folks like Moses obviously Jesus and the apostle Paul had had a humility and that humility allows you to connect with people and so honoring others above yourselves the real key to that is humility and this is this is the second thing we'll do and then we'll we'll stop here and I actually was smart in my preparation knew we were going to have to stop here I didn't try to do everything. Mm-hmm. 
Love must be sincere. And I told you these are these priorities that you have to mind. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. But then verse 11 shows us this. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It's not just the priorities that you have to mind. There's a path that you must maintain. There's a path that you must maintain. If you want to get to a place where loving sincerely and giving genuine and real love is possible, the path to make that possible, beloved, is serving the Lord. You don't think you know what I'm saying because if you did, you'd be just a little bit. Well, actually, you might not be excited because service requires two things. He said, listen, he says what? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. The path of service requires you to be both fervent and zealous. Amen. Diligence is needed. The kingdom work cannot be mailed in. This is not the place where you can be lazy. Amen. This is not the place where you take your foot off the pedal. This is not the place where you come and you tell us as the body of Christ, I've been working hard for the man all week. So I'm going to just do my bare minimum. I'm not going to give God my first fruits. I'm going to give him my last fruits. I'm going to give him whatever I got left. I'm not going to get supercharged about this. I don't care about this. But that is not the right way to love. Amen. That's not the right way to do it. You got a path that you have to maintain. And that path is service. Service requires diligence and zealousness. You got to keep your spiritual fervor. Now I'll tell you this. There's a phrase that, that, that you would hear at baseball games when we were, we were coming through. And even if you say you were late to the game, but your child is up to bat. If you heard these three words, you would get excited. Stay hot, kid. <laughs> Stay hot, kid. Well, what does that mean? That implies that you've been hot. That means that earlier in the game, you did something that we appreciated, and now you're coming up to bat again. And it's like, stay hot, kid. Nobody would really say get hot because we, we want to see you get hot first, and then we want to encourage you to stay hot. Everybody wants to get hot, but he says, listen, when you come and you hear that, that Kyle is up to bat or JP is up to bat or Jalen's up to bat, and you hear somebody scream out, stay hot, kid. That means they, 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 they're on fire. That's what you want. That's what you want. You want to be able to stay hot. Keep your spiritual fervor. So you don't want to have the apostle Paul have to tell Timothy, like he said, man, stir up the gift that's inside of you. Stir it back up. Stir it up. Don't let anybody uh, despise your youth. You got to stir it up. It would be so nice if he could have been able to say, stay hot, Timothy. You on fire, dude. Stay hot, kid. Why? Because the stakes are high. People are dying without a savior. People are lost. The stakes are high. And you and I need to stay hot. We have to keep our spiritual fervor and our, and our zealousness. It's like, and you do that and this is never be lacking in zeal. Don't, 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 don't just mail it in. Stay hot, kid. Serve the Lord. Why? Because of the stakes, for sure. 
and people are dying all around us. But there's another reason, and it's tied directly to loving sincerely. When we serve together, it's one of the best ways to learn to love one another. Yes. When we do what? Serve together. It's one of the best ways for us to learn to love one another. You want to build up warm feelings and shared experiences and common interests? Do it through serving the Lord. I just sent a picture out. Kim was going through some old pictures of the, uh, at the house and we found some pictures of the, at the church. And I found the uh, pictures that I sent out to a couple of the brothers in the men's Bible study of 15 years ago when we were doing the demolition project here in the, in the church. We had sledgehammers and had all this other stuff and we were doing that. And it was just two pictures of us tearing some stuff down and then the picture we took afterward. We got so many warm memories from working together. There was a, a person that was in that photo that doesn't go to this church anymore. I sent that photo to him. And he was like, man, that's all love, peace out. Man, I remember that. Warm feelings. We served together. And when you serve together, it, it, it allows you to put yourself in a different, it makes it easier to love one another. The more we are around each other and we have a common goal, a common interest, and we're serving the Lord, you can't, you can't mail that in. <laughs> the last thing I'll tell you, there was a time many, many years ago. It was, I brought Sister Kim, Sister DeAndre, Sister Tabitha, Sister Kelly, and Sister Donna Barnett in my office. I was getting, I just, there were some other ladies that were here and I'll say it like this. They weren't feeling the love. So I brought my crew in and I talked to them and I pleaded with them. Let love be sincere. They processed it for a little bit. And then they turned against me. They didn't realize that their turning against me, as I say, was truly based on this scripture right here. They said, a lot of times we're busy. And we're serving and we're moving all around. So excuse us if we don't necessarily have time to, 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 to sit when there's the things that are getting done. And we're so close because people are saying, oh, they, they're so close that they, these particular, it's, we're close because we serve. We're close because we're in ministry together. And they say, Hey, guess what, pastor? Why don't you get them? to start doing some things and if they do some things with us guess what they'll get close with us too it was a biblical answer they didn't know it it was a it was a biblical answer be quiet sister kim and definitely be quiet sister deandre y'all didn't know what y'all was doing but y'all were right it was it was true what they said to me was it will be easier to get done what you want done if they serve like we serve. And if we serve together, we'll naturally get closer together. Naturally. And we'll serve like family. And we'll be family.
because we'll have warm feelings and we'll have shared experiences and we'll have common interests and we'll have family ties. We'll have a stake in this thing because we understand the stakes of what's going on and, and what's happening. And so the more active everybody is in serving together, we will draw closer together. It's the path that we have to maintain in order to have real love. You can't mail it in, y'all. You can't. Be encouraged to serve today. Be encouraged to hate what's evil, cling to what's good, to honor one another and be devoted to one another like family. Amen.